promised me that you always support me. And I thank God for you, Pastor. Amen. Our scripture for this morning is coming from the Gospel of Luke, very familiar passage of scripture. It's a very long passage of scripture, so I won't read all of it, but I encourage you to read it in your own time. We will uh, dip and dab into the scripture as we go along. But if you would, just read it in your own reading. We're going to read uh, for, for you uh, the first uh, few verses in uh, the 15th chapter, no, excuse me, in the 15th chapter, 11th verse. When you have it, say amen. You get it in the 11th verse, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young, younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. From those verses and a few of the following verses, we like to take this for a thought. A perfect example of fatherhood. A perfect example of fatherhood. In this text, Jesus has two groups of people that are in his audience. He has tax collectors and sinners. And he has the Pharisees and the scribes. And so in, in verse number one, the Pharisees come to Jesus and said, why are you sitting with these tax collectors and these scribes, I mean, these tax collectors and these sinners? It's a befitting question that comes from the Pharisees and the scribes because they were always sitting in the seat of judgment, always looking to point the finger, always trying to label Jesus as a sinner. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them using parables. Jesus has recorded in the Gospels at least 60 parables. And this parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, as we know it, is perhaps one of the most well-known of all of the parables. It's a debate between that and the Good Samaritan. But needless to say, we understand the parable in its context. In its context, we have that which is lost, and then we have that or the one who is seeking that which is lost. It's one thing to be lost and no one is looking for you, but it's another thing to be lost and have someone seeking you out and seeking to recover you. And so Jesus, in the parable, as a matter of fact, he starts off with this parable of the sheep and how when one sheep is lost or walks away, how Jesus said that he will leave the 99 and go after the one. What that tells us is that you are valuable to Jesus, that he's willing to leave that which he has entrusted and go and find you and go and seek you out. Jesus is trying to find all lost sheep. He is concerned about it. The second parable he tells of, one, of a woman who lost a coin. And this woman values this coin so much that she's willing to tear her house upside down to find this one lost coin. 
In every case that we see here, we see that that, that which is lost is valuable to the one who is seeking after it. And understand, brothers and sisters, you have value. And God is really looking to see how he can redeem you unto himself. He is seeking after you. As a matter of fact, that's what the scripture says. The scripture said that God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is seeking after the lost. In this particular text, the, the prodigal son, as we know it, and it really should be tagged the, the lost son. We see that there is a certain man, the name is not given, but there's three characters in this whole parable. The three parables are the father and the two sons. Now the father is the representation of God because he is the one that redeems us. He is one that seeks us out and saves us. The two sons represent in, this, in the context of this text is that the tax collectors and the sinners is the younger son. The older son is the scribes and the Pharisees. And we'll see why as we get into this. But it says in the text, it says that the younger son came unto the father. And he said, get, give me what I got coming. In other words, I'm not going to wait until you die. Give me my inheritance right now. In other words, I can't wait until you die. Give it to me right now. And so, look, look, the text does not show that the father is upset about this. The reason being is because in that time, although it was not common, you could request that. that, that that's a request that you could make. The father would give you your portion before he had died. But understand here that we never see the father try and talk him out of it. You never see the father get upset about this. Here your son is coming to you and ask you, give me what I got coming to me. I can't wait for you to die. Give it to me right now. The father never tries to talk him out of it. He never tries to discourage him. And I begin to wonder why. Why, why. why is it the father never tries to talk this young foolish man out of this? Understand, fathers, that, that we as fathers need to be observant and know our children. We need to know exactly what moves and motivates our children. Understand that as fathers, we cannot always treat them the same way. You got to know and understand your children. And perhaps this father understood that if he would have tried to stop this son, the son would have been even more rebellious. And a lot of times as fathers, fathers, you need to be praying for wisdom as to how to raise our children. How do we deal with our children? How do you deal with a rebellious child? How do, how, how do you deal with a child that just wants their own way? And listen, I, I, I've learned. Because my mama tried to beat some sense into me. You can't beat sense into fit folk. There's time that it's going to take some works, fathers. 
There's time that you're going to have to be able to sit down with your children. The problem with it a lot of times is that, is that most times we as fathers don't realize what we're pouring into our children. Because whether you know it or not, they are learning something from you, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And understand that when you live a godly life before your children, when you bring them to church, when you give them the word of God, and more importantly, when you live the word of God in front of them, it gets down inside of them. They get it. And so perhaps his father knew what he had deposited in his son. But understand that this, this, this father here is God. And God knows all things. So in the parable, he knew how things were going to turn out. On our behalf, fathers, we don't always know. And there is some time that we're going to have to do like this father and release them. Let them go. As difficult as it is, as hard as it is, this father let or released his son to his own foolish ways. And if you never had to do that before, it is perhaps one of the most difficult things that you'll ever have to do as a father. Because as I said, we as fathers, we love our children. Don't, don't get it wrong. We, we, we may not be as affectionate as mama is. But that does not change the fact that we love our children. And so in this text, we see that the father releases his son. He does not try to talk him out of it. And it says that the father, listen here, he said that he gave his living or divided his living, listen here, unto them. In other words, he did not just give the younger son what he had coming. He gave both of the sons what they asked for, what this young son asked for. And it's a wonderful thing for a father to be able to leave something to his children other than some debt. Or other than a, a, a disrepaired house. In other words, father, we need to be storing up some stuff that we might be able to be a blessing to our children even when God takes us off this earth. Too many times families are left bankrupt because we as fathers did not do our part. It's more than just providing for them while you're here. We need to make sure that they're provided for even after we, let, we leave this earth. So this man has something to give. And so he gives it to this son, this foolish son. And it says, not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered up everything that he had, everything that the father had given him. And he said that he went into a far country. Now, we don't know how far this country was. It could have been, it could have been 100 miles away. It could have been 1,000 miles away. But understand, in the context of this scripture right here, the far country is not measured in miles. It's measured in morals. He had fell away in a moral sense 
Morally, he had become corrupt. Morally, he had become foolish. And so a lot of times we cannot measure our far country in miles. We must begin to look at ourselves and see how far have we strayed away from the Father? How far have we gone away from his will for our lives? And many of us, many of us have, have, have gone into far countries and are still there. We still have not come to a place to where we understand that God is the one that really has got us. But look at what he does. He goes into this far country and he wastes everything that the father had worked hard for. You know, what, it used to be that, that, that my children would ask me, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? And I, I told you this before. I tell I want you to just be obedient. If I could just get you to be obedient. You see, because disobedience costs us something, fellas. When you have disobedient ch children, it will cost you something. And so here we say that this, this son wasted everything that he had on riotous living. And that's where we get the word prodigal from, because that's what prodigal, it means living riotous, a riotous life. Fast women, fast cars, drinking, drugs. This is what he wasted his money on. This is the father's life earnings. And here this young, foolish son is wasting it away to the point to where he became broke. He became broke because he had become irresponsible in his spending. And understand that, understand that, that, that one of our duties as fathers is to make sure that our children has financial literacy. In other words, teach them how to handle money. Teach them how to have a budget. Teach them how to stick to their bed. Teach them how to not live above their means. Teach them how to save money. Teach them how you don't have to buy every new fad that comes out. Teach them that if you just wait a couple years, you can get the same thing at a discounted rate. That's simple. These are the simple things that we as fathers need to be teaching our children. But look at here, this, this son was foolish. Look at here, he said, and he spent all that he had. And understand that, that, that at that particular time, it just gets worse and worse, right? Here you are broke, and now there's a famine in the land. Now, now, now there's not enough food to eat. And it would seem to me that this son would recognize and realize that, hey, I need to return home. But understand this, that everyone's bottom is not the same. Because even though he's broke, busted, and disgusted, and he has nothing to eat, he still does not turn back to the father. His behavior has become irrational. And instead of going back home, he decides to link up with one of the citizens. Listen here, brothers and sisters, be careful with who you link up with. Be careful who you connect with. Because understand that the people that you're linking up with does not always have your best interest at heart. 
These are some of the lessons we need to teach our children. You be careful who you, who you come arm in arm with. Because if someone that you come arm in arm with and link up with, they're going to tell you what is best for you and not what's best for themselves. But look at what happens. He, 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 when he links up with a citizen of that country, someone that he does not even know, it says that this individual sent him out into the pig pen. Understand, understand for a Jew, that was a, that was a major no-no. Because pigs were known as being unclean. Jews had a problem with pigs. I don't. <laughs> I don't have a problem with pigs. I went down south and I went, walked up on a pig pen. They started squealing like, oh, that, yeah, he, 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 some bacon and some pork chops. and Oh, yeah, that's what I see him as. I don't have a problem with pigs. But Jews had a problem with pigs. And so he jumps from the frying pan into the fire. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, it takes us getting at that lowest point in our lives. It, get, it takes us to a point to where we can't see anything else. Understand that sometimes God has to take you down to the pig pen. God has to take you to a place to where you can't see anything but pig slop. And when you get to the place where the food that the pigs eat started looking good to you, you got a problem. That's exactly what he did. He began to, to covet the pig's food. But then there was a remarkable change here. God took him to a place to where he began to look and reevaluate. He began to reflect on daddy. He began to look back on what dad was providing for him. And he said, you know what? I, I think it's time for me to get up and return to my father's house. This is a remarkable reflection. And every now and again, we all need to reflect. We all need to pause and stop what we're doing and begin to reflect on where God has brought us from. You see, because when you begin to reflect on what God has done for you, you begin to appreciate the Father even the more. For he said, he said he, when he came to he said, he said how many of my, 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 my father's servants eat like this. He said, all of my father's servants have bread to eat. Here I am, an heir. I'm a son. And I'm eating out of the pig pen. This is what he came up with. He said, I will arise and go to my father. Now listen, look, look, look at this, this. Because this is relational. He did not say that I would return to my father's house. You see, because returning to the father's house means that you still only want what the father has to give you. But returning to the father means that I want to return to that right relationship I had with the father. 
And understand, fathers, that there are times, like I said, we have to release our children. We have to let them bump their heads sometimes. And then we have to pray and love them and pray and love them and pray and love them. Because what it really is is that God is in control of the whole situation. You can't make grown kids do nothing. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. God does not make us do anything. His word is there for us. He lets us know what his word says. He's revealed himself through his word. But at the end of the day, it's us the one that makes that decision on whether we're going to follow him, whether we're going to trust him. He leaves that up to us. But we are to pour into our children. We are to let them know that you have a father that will always be here for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the mistakes you make, I'm still here for you as your daddy. That's what, that, that's, what, that's what God does for us. He is the perfect example of fatherhood. When we see this lesson, it automates us godly proud to have a father like our heavenly father. And even if your father did not measure up to these expectations, at least we have a heavenly father that we can look to, that we can go to, that loves us. And so in this we see repentance and his return. This son who was foolish has now repented. Repentant means that he has had a change of mind which led to his change of direction. It would have done him no good whatsoever to return to the father in the same condition that he was in. In other words, when they come back, they should come back better than when they left. They should come back changed. Don't come back with the same rhetoric that you left with. Don't come back with the same foolishness that you left with. This son came back broken, bruised and battered. Why? Because life will teach you some things that fathers cannot teach you. Every son, every daughter must go out into this world and must find their way. And we're to pray for them. We're to keep them in our prayers. We stay down on our knees praying for them that they'll choose the right path. So he said that I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to my father, listen, this is what he said. He said, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. You see the relationship between the son and the father. He, he, he's setting forth a plan to return to his father's house. He said, listen, I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me a servant. So he gets up 
and he makes his journey back home. For in verse 20, he says, and he arose and came to his father. Listen here, this is key too. But when he was a yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What we see here is that we see a father that was always on the lookout for his son's return. Even before the son seen the father, the father had seen him on his way. I mean, can't you see him standing on the porch saying, man, that looked like my boy. He sure walked like my boy. He's walking, he's looking like my boy. That is my boy. And immediately the Bible said that he ran. He didn't walk, he didn't skip. He ran, fell on his neck and began to kiss him. Now understand, there, there, there's two other passages in the Bible that I remember this happening. If you remember Joseph, when he had revealed himself to his brothers, and it said that how he had began to fall upon their neck, began to weep, and they began to cry and to rejoice at this reunion. And then there's Esau and Jacob. When Jacob was hiding in the desert from Esau, he had got word that Esau was coming. And the last word that he had heard from Esau is that, I'm going to kill you. Jacob was, was fearful and began to position himself. But the text said that when, when, when Esau saw Jacob, he got down off his horse and he ran to his brother fell on his neck and began to kiss him and to cry. Wonderful view of Christian love. A wonderful view of reunion and coming together, reuniting. And much in the same way, fathers, children, the connection between a father and a child should never be underplayed. Dads, sometimes when they come home, don't be quick to question them where they've been or what they've been up to. Just grab them and fall on their neck. Begin to love them. Begin to kiss them. Begin to embrace them. Because they need it. They need to see it come from a father. They need to be affirmed by a father. They need to have the Father let them know how much value they have to this world and to this family. Every one of our children has some value. And this Father valued this son. Look here, what did he say? He said that he had compassion on him. That's key. Because, Father, we need to start showing that same type of compassion to our children. We are instructors. We are trying to build boys into men, women, I mean girls into women. There's an instructional part of it as well. But there needs to be a time of compassion as well that we have for them. And so, and so, and so, so he arose and he, he came to his father, his house and, and, and his father ran and he kissed him and he, he loved on him. And he makes this request. He said, and the son said unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven 
and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said unto the servant, bring forth, listen here, the best robe, not just any robe, the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. There's three things here that he tells the servant to give him. He said, number one, give him a robe. And what this robe does is this robe covers him. So he's not exposed. In other words, fathers, sometimes you need to cover them with your robe of love. Don't expose the sinfulness that they've been in. Don't expose how, what they've done with the money. He didn't ask him, what did you do with the money that I gave you? No, but he gave him the best robe. A robe that would cover him. And then he gave him a ring. What the ring represents is that he was now back in relationship with the father. You know, anytime we have a wedding, there's rings involved. And the rings represent the relationship between the husband and the wife. This ring let the son know, you're back in relationship with me as the father. The shoes represented that the father would protect him as he went on in life. That you can never outrun the protection and the love of a father. This is the perfect father. This is the reward of the father. He rewards him. But understand that even though the son had came home, everybody's not happy, right? There's still this older fella who, who, who did everything that the father told him to do. This, this son never really stepped out of line, at least what the father could see. But because of his reaction, we know that there's some issues that went on with this son. Because this son, when he came in from the field, heard music and heard dancing. He called the servant and said, what's going on? He said, your brother who was lost is not home. Your father has had me kill the fatted calf. And we're having a feast in tribute to your brother. And so this older brother begins to begin resentful. But look at this father. This father still comes out. After ministering to the son, the younger son, in his waywardness, he begins to minister to the older son in his recklessness. He said, he said listen here, this is your brother. He was once lost, but now he's found. And it was God the one that did it. And so we ought to rejoice when our brothers and our sisters come home. We need to be rejoicing when God redeems them and brings them back into the fold. Don't be jealous. And so the father was befitting in killing the fatted calf to celebrate the son's return. But understand there was another sacrifice that was made on our behalf, when God looked at us, that younger son, that foolish son, he realized that there had to be something done. And so he begins to prepare a sacrifice because understand that's what was needed to redeem us. There needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And so God gave us that perfect sacrifice, none other than Jesus Christ himself. 
for the record declared that he came down through 42 generations. Come on, help me out here. 42 generations. Suffered, bled, and died on the old rugged cross for us. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He gave us, he became sin for us. He became a curse for us. He died for us on that cross. But yet still, even on the cross, he's making intercession for us. He, for he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's paying the ultimate sacrifice. The same one that we're responsible for him being nailed to the cross is the same one that Jesus is praying for. He did it for us. He suffered, bled, and died. They, they buried him in the tomb, but on the third day, he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. I declare to you, that's love. That's the perfect example of what a father does. Because our heavenly father was willing to sacrifice his best. Sacrifice his only son. His only begotten son he sacrificed for us. Father, we need to do the same. We need to give our children our best. And there's going to be some time that's going to come sacrificially. So that's what we do. Because we mimic what God has done. But the even better news is that God is not done yet. He's making intercessions for us. And one day he's going to come and receive us unto himself. One day he's going to rapture this church. And I want you to be ready for it. Because he is that kind of a father. We thank and praise God for all that he does. We thank you, God, for the example that you've given us of fatherhood. He is the great father. He is the ultimate father. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open.